0: And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law.
1: God take us out of this world if he does not want us to be contaminated by it. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. Hey everybody, welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. The episode we've been working on here today has uh, kind of just been coming together based on some new experiences and some new discoveries. Um, We wanted to just kind of share a few of those things with you. Part of history and history making, uh, from the historian's perspective anyway, is spending a lot of time in the archives. Archives are probably not necessarily what you would think. I mean, usually when I'm thinking about archives, what comes to mind is some deep old cavernous place, another huge library with wood paneling and all like we would think it's nice and cool like that. But ultimately, it's a little bit less. Uh, Much of the time is actually just spent at a table and people have old folders they bring to you, or maybe you're looking through file cabinets and different things like that. This week, uh, Michael's had a chance to dig around in the General Conference archives back in Maryland and has found a couple of cool things. Michael, tell us a little bit about your experience, what it's like to be in archives, and maybe, hey, some of the new stuff that you found.
0: Yeah, Greg, uh, great to talk together and be able to share with some of our listeners. You know, Part of uh doing archival research, it, it feels a bit like uh Indiana Jones. I know there's a new movie coming out and and uh so if you like uh sleuthing and uh that little bit of historical sense of discovery and yeah there there aren't any uh magical moments where you find, you know Some magic box or anything like that. Most of archival research, Greg, what you were just talking about, is pretty perfunctory or ordinary. It's just bringing out a box of stuff of letters and uh, different files and just one folder at a time. And so I was really excited, Greg, because you know you can, uh, you know, it's easy to get very busy with all the work that you do. And even though I'm in the role of an archivist and historian at the North American Division, just down the road from us is the General Conference Archives, uh, thanks to David Trim and Ashley Chisholm and their staff. And so uh, this last week, I had an afternoon, and then another day, I had a morning. So I had kind of basically about a day to go through a couple of archival boxes of an ongoing research project. One of the things I've been doing is uh, doing work on Warren Eugene Howell, who is the director of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's education department from about 1918 to 1930. And so uh, I've done a lot of research. I've read all of his published articles. I've written an encyclopedia article about him. And, and of course, he was a very active participant in the 1919 Bible right. conference. So this gave me a chance to go through, Greg and talk, uh, and look in his correspondence files a little bit more closely and to see what I could find nice. there.
1: Yeah. And, and as far as I know, no relation as, as on my end of things, I do not think that I, no I mean, relation to you, Greg, I, huh?
0: You don't have any, any special, not that uh, I know of I mean, diaries or anything, it, huh? It
1: would that I did. <laughs> I, I, that would be amazing, but I do not think so.
0: If only, well, uh we do know that Greg, uh, the not Craig Warren, the Warren Howell, he did have a daughter named Felicia. And she was actually an artist in the Hudson River School of Art. Her art now goes for thousands of dollars at auctions. Wow. Uh but she she married, check this out, the, the grandson of John Deere, of John Deere what? Factory, you know, the the, the tractors. Yeah. yeah. And so so he was fabulously wealthy, of of uh, course, yeah. as you can only imagine. And so, so she married him and uh, uh, would travel around on yachts and go to vacations the, the in tractors. Europe. Lived a, an incredible lifestyle. Yeah, the tractor <laughs> dude. And and um, I I think her her connections to Adventism were a little bit tenuous there um, at the end. It's kind of a sad story, I mm. guess you might say. But. Um, uh, but she didn't have any children. So there there weren't any direct descendants of I've I've actually checked this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because and although I'd love to have one of her paintings. It's What's because that?
1: those are the people that we would still be able to talk to that might have stuff, right? Exactly.
0: And and that is what we're looking for. Um some years ago there was a bunch of Warren Eugene Howell stuff, uh, books that were had his book plate and stuff like that that someone was selling on eBay. Uh, and so I know part of his collection, I have no idea how the provenance, but but I know some of it uh, ended up uh, with at least one person up in Canada. And, and I've actually managed to pick up a couple things that have his signature in them. Uh, that uh, have turned up over the years, too. In fact, a few things from the General Conference archives. I remember Bert Holoviak who just passed away. When I went to my very first trip to the General Conference archives, he he had a stack of stuff. So these are duplicates I'm getting mm. rid of. And one of them was just an old yearbook, um, an old, an extra copy, but had Howell's signature ah, right. um, there on it. So he said, hey, would you like this? And of course, you can just imagine as a teenager... <laughs> yeah. Um, excited about Aventus history, (laughs) what what you would have said too, right? right? So anyways, uh, but, but Howell, so he's the person I'm interested in. And so I started by looking at his boxes, which were mostly in the secretariat files. Now, I have a little bit of a confession. And that is when I was doing my dissertation, my work on the 1919 Bible Conference, I came out, I didn't have a lot of money, of course, being a grad student. And so I came out. And uh, spent some time. But I, I mostly spent my time looking in the presidential files. And there was material on the 1919 Bible Conference and even Howell and others. I, I wasn't aware that there were more uh, files and folders related to Howell and the 1919 Bible Conference in the Secretariat mm. uh, correspondence files. And that's what I've been spending time in uh, this past week was go- kind of starting going through yeah, that. Yeah. And my goal, obviously, is to, I'm, I'm trying to do a deep dive on Howell and in the process found some new stuff on the 1919 Bible Conference. Now I've been looking for stuff for what? A long time, right, Greg? Yeah, <laughs> It's some new stuff. Just help
1: helping people out, though. What's the difference between the presidential mm-hmm. files and the secretariat file? Like, who is the secretariat? To me, that's that's like a horse that won the, the Kentucky Derby somewhere.
0: Right. Yeah. No, the the <laughs> the it, it's different record groups. Right. And so part of finding stuff is just knowing where to look. And, you know, you can ask an archivist, you can do searches in their databases, but it doesn't mean that necessarily always stuff will pop up when you're When you're looking for it but uh, because sometimes you'll have folders and unless there's enough letters in a particular by a particular person or that's in their database you're not going to know so presidential would have been um, within the denomination you've got the presidential the general conference president you have the executive secretary of the organization Mm -hmm. so that's the secretariat files you have treasury and those are usually your three departments that of any organization whether a conference union Uh, division or the general conference. And so it was interesting. This was just a different record group. I had no idea. And, you know, of course, he was just one of many people at the 1919 Bible Conference. But what I learned was he was actually the secretary of the planning committee Mm. for the 1919 Bible Conference. And since I found these folders in this different record group, I had no idea they were there or how significant they were found some of the folders or different documents pertaining to the actual planning of the 1919 Bible Conference. Now, I don't think there's anything that really changes any fundamental things. It's just more a little nuance, more detail. Um, For example, who were the actual members of the planning committee for the 1919 Bible Conference? kind of knew who they who some of them were but but actually to have the voted action where here's the the five people AG Daniels of course was the chair of that group Howell was the secretary so you have a, just a little bit more detail and i found in 1918 a year ahead of time where they here's all the possible topics we might look at and i've seen later versions of that but this is the earliest list of topics and a list of the different people and I, I did not know this, but there was one voted exception uh, for someone to participate in the 1919 Bible Conference. It was invitation only, and I basically said, well, it's invitation only unless there was a voted you, exception. You got me worried. Uh, well, there was, there was one voted this, this exception. This isn't a Jesuit, right? Um,
1: come on. No no, no,
0: no, it wasn't Greg Howell <laughs> either.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't come with my, my real name
0: oh man, I I knew there was something up, something fishy here. So, uh, but yeah, it's fun when you find just a little bit more of that nuance, that detail. Here's, here's a couple of these voted actions. Um, yeah, you know, and the great thing is I would have totally included this in my dissertation had I been aware of it. And, and this comes to, you know, you only know as much as you can
1: find. Yeah, exactly.
0: And, 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 and so if you can find it and dig in the archives, it just becomes that much more um, more significant and detailed. And, you know, it's, it's the fun part of, of, of research is just um, finding uh, who those people are. By the way, here's, here's the actual voted action, May 18, 1919. It's a letter by, uh, looks like W.A. Spicer, no, J.L. Shaw, excuse me, J.L. Shaw to W.E. Howell. And he says, of course, Daniels was the chair of the committee. He was the secretary, that is W.E. Howell, J.L. Shaw, uh, and then E.R. Palmer. J.L. Shaw would have been the secretary of, um, I'm trying to remember, secretary of treasurer, but he was a very influential person at the General Conference during the 19-teens and 20s. So J.L. Shaw, E.R. Palmer, who is um long standing. Uh, person in the publishing, uh, the Review and Herald, and George B. Thompson. So these are kind of the heavyweights, probably some of the most influential church leaders. So it's really not a surprise that they would be the ones that would um, be the key people Mm -hmm. uh, in planning the 1919 Bible Conference. So that's kind of fun. And then you have some additional voted actions. Here's the people that, uh, here's the topics that they want. And then... um, a letter of invitation I'd seen that before but just a few of these very small details but definitely very enriching and it just shows hey I've been working on this Greg for a long time I was going to say yeah and to be able to find something new I hadn't seen before for me I had to do a little happy dance just, <laughs> just it's that exciting when you find some new there's, material there's
1: more stuff out there and I think that's that highlights that you're never really done you just choose when to stop Like there's, there's more Mm -hmm. places to dig, right? Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes you find things in unexpected places where you didn't, um, anticipate that you would necessarily find something, but, but there it is, there it is hiding in plain sight sometimes. Uh, and, and by the way, one of the really cool things that I did not expect, did not expect, um, is reading through all of Howell's letters and different things in there, Uh, this week, was how controversial M.E. Olson, that's Olson with an E at the end, M.E. Olson, uh, Malin E. Olson, uh, one of our earliest Adventist historians, he wrote the first denominational textbook. You know, there's some some significant unhappiness with Olson's manuscript. And part of the reason we know this is that uh, Howell writes a letter to Spicer and says, "Hey, there's this other person working on this manuscript, so we have to be very discreet about this. But, but basically, that, uh, you know, would you write this denominational textbook? We all kind of feel that you would do a, you know, do hit the hit the mark <laughs> in terms of what they're looking for."
1: This is before poor old yeah. Olson even knows. Yeah, Olson
0: doesn't know, and, and uh, the next thing he knows is that he's painful. taking the summer off. He's an academic. He's teaching at Union College. And and so then he's requesting that he get a, a paycheck from the GC for the summer because he's working on this project. So now they're kind of betwixt and between. They've got him starting to work in a manuscript. They actually also have kind of commissioned Spicer to work on this. Uh, Spicer <laughs> is very diplomatic. And what he does is he his passion is missions. So he writes a survey of missions and the work of the church and various missionaries uh, and missions around the world church. And what ends up happening is they basically end up having two books that come out of this. They have Olson's history. uh, And it seems to be that from reading between the lines and the comments that are made, that, that the people that are complaining about his manuscript, it's too dense. It's too just factual. Here's all the facts. Here's the history. And they want something that is a little bit more spiritual. There's definitely this intimation. They want something more, um, more spiritually uh more spiritual kind of narrative and so they see his is too formal too (laughs) academic and then and so Spicer they're hoping will be more inspirational and so what ends up happening is they end up getting both they get Olson and his manuscript his textbook and they get Spicer and in the end after all this correspondence back and forth they basically say well we'll use both of (laughs) use both of them for when our teacher's Uh, teach denominational history. And so both um, are uh, meant to be used together. And so that's very interesting to me. And so they, in fact, at one point they tell Olson, stop in 1901, don't go past 1901 at the reorganization of the church. That's as far as you go. And then we want to have different departments of the church, like the education and treasury and everything else. We'll have them write some uh, brief narratives of their department. If you look at Olson's textbook, his, his, his narrative his um, Origin of Seventh-day Adventists. It basically, if you look at the end, there's a, a series of chapters like the last 10, 12 chapters are all these small little chapters that are focused on various departments of the church. And if my reading of this correspondence is right, Olson never actually wrote those. Those were written by various people um, at church headquarters that kind of added mm-hmm. to whatever Olson had written in his manuscript. So so that's kind of you know, interesting, too.
1: Yeah, because that, that's fascinating. I bump into this periodically whenever I start writing history that's a little too recent, right? You mm-hmm. know, people that are still around and are alive and now you're writing about them like they don't like that so much. That's that's where things get fuzzy. It's easier mm-hmm. to write history about people who can't argue back with you anymore. So, I mean, it's not... It's true. No, Not terribly surprising, really. 1901, that's an easy cutoff because now everybody that you're talking about is alive and maybe you won't say it right. (laughs) Like that's that's a fascinating little insight on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's all this drama back and forth about the very first denominational textbook. And so I know there's been a lot of talk about denominational historiography and everything else and talked about later textbooks like Richard Schwartz and Lightbearers and, and everything else. But I don't think anyone's really done any... Paid really close attention to the first what was considered the first denominational textbook of course. Before that, there's Loftborough who writes his kind of uh, his history. It's kind of a storytelling that he he does is a kind of a spiritual storytelling. Um, but by 19 the early 1920s, there's a new generation. By the way, one other little nuance, little detail is uh, Al, uh, Albertsworth, um, E. F. Albertsworth. Um, I write it in my 1922 book how he kind of gets in trouble and eventually loses his job. What I found is before the 1919 Bible Conference, there is some concerns that the teachers at Washington Missionary College are suspect, that they're too liberal. And it's not just Albertsworth. There's Sorensen, C.M. Sorensen, and H. Camden Lacey. And all three of them, at one point, there's a small committee, a small group that includes Howell, that sit down with them, interview them, basically warn them and say, hey, you guys need to kind of shape up and Pay a little bit more careful attention about <laughs> how you're teaching and not casting doubts into the minds of students. That and 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 sufficiently that the conversations were sufficient to assure Howell that that none of the three of them were actually doing that. So they were able to present that back to the board. You should go ahead and rehire them. But it does set a little bit more of the context that those three specific professors at Washington Missionary College that uh, they are that they are. Uh, kind of on, on, on under careful um, watch list scrutiny. Yeah, you might say yeah. that. And so, of course, you know, all of them are very progressive in terms of not pushing for a rigid and errant view of or fundamentalist view of Ellen White, if you please. And uh, so, say, you so feel... that's definitely part of the context.
1: Do you feel like that's just another? you know, early stage view of the fundamentalist modernist debates that's kind of already creeping in, even in these later 1910s?
0: Oh, definitely. There's there's no doubt about it, you know, that there's there's this wider context going on. Of course, they're at Washington Missionary College. Another interesting little detail as I was finalizing up, I'd done a lot of this work a long time ago, maybe a year ago, on Jane Anderson, a first Adventist official missionary with his wife and sister-in-law to China. And by 1919, he's teaching. Um, well, he teaches at Washington Missionary College. He's also teaching at Union College. He goes back and forth. Um, but I think he's actually at Union when when he goes to the 1919 Bible Conference. He he's one of those that's also very progressive in terms of avoiding a rigid, narrow view of, of Ellen White and that we need to educate the church. Um, he goes back and he keeps teaching. He keeps teaching, and uh, you know, uh, but he. You know, supports the church, but at the same time doesn't, is not afraid of addressing these kinds of issues and the need to educate young people about those issues. And uh, he's going on through the 20s and 30s. And finally, by uh, 39, he gives some presentations about Ellen White that uh, cause enough concern that when he gets back to Union College, they actually basically fire him. And we're able to get a little bit of that detail. Now, this wasn't in the GC archives. This was thanks to some oral histories, some Uh, memory statements that people had left by Everett Dick and and several others later, but I was able to actually include that in my new new article again thanks to some new materials new research that I was able to uh, to become familiar with just in the last few weeks. Anyways, uh, you know, it's just part of that process uh, where you just constantly find new things. One one more thing that I just found really cool is some of you know, I've, I've done some work in Margaret Rowan, written an encyclopedia article. And uh, sometimes you're looking in those file folders in Howell and you find another folder that's really close to it. And in this case, there was a folder by S.N. Haskell, again, very prominent early Adventist minister. And as we were I was going through, I thought, oh, I'll just take a quick glance at this and and found a couple of letters related to Haskell and Margaret Rowan. Now, Margaret Rowan is the person who claims to be Ellen White's prophetic successor. <laughs> so Haskell writes a letter to T.E. Bowen. We've
1: talked about her on the podcast. We've yeah. talked
0: about her before, too. Um, writes this letter to T.E. Bowen, who's one of the church leaders back at church headquarters and secretariat, we call it today. And kind of is giving a little bit of that story. And I'm just going to read this paragraph just because I think it's so fun. Um, Haskell writing to Bowen. Here's this letter. It's dated September 23, 1920. He writes this. The only thing about Mrs. Rowan's work, to my mind, is that there is enough to the woman to be used by the devil to accomplish what she did. I have seen her and talked with her. And she appeared <laughs> as quite an unoffensive person. The first copy she sent out, that's talking about her copy of her visions, right? Her pamphlet where she's sharing, right? Um, and I go back to quoting yeah. Haskell. I understand was sent to me with a request that I reply to it in a way that could be used. In other words, she's trying to get Haskell to endorse her <laughs> as one of Ellen White's strongest yeah, right. <laughs> supporters, right? So he, she's trying hard here. And and he goes on, says, I simply ran through it and said I would have ha- I would have to... Re- Uh, Reconstruct nearly all of my theology to accept it because it denied Bible facts and it denied Sister White's writings. So, so there you go. Uh, Just this, a little bit of color, a little bit of fun. As here, these church leaders are kind of talking. Hey, you know,
1: candid moment.
0: And uh, I'd have to reconstruct all my theology in order to accept what she's teaching. So, uh,
1: just fun little anecdotes. It's interesting to hear how this is being mm-hmm. received because so much of our history, you know, it is biographical. And if you look up the article on El- on Margaret Rowan, biographical, we've got these extra details, but then yeah. you hear how she's being received or how she's impressing or not impressing other people. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of color that kind of fleshes out these extra narratives. I know you've got some other stuff that does that. every time, like you Yeah. As you, her. as you
0: look in, you see that color everywhere. You see that color in almost every page, Greg. And uh, one of the things that you definitely, uh, just one little incidental thing before we wrap up here, and that is uh, a, a missionary from Africa. He'd come back and he basically, um, kind of a runaway missionary, you might <laughs> say. I guess he wasn't I would say, uh, very well appreciated or received. And so he comes back.
1: He and, got some colorful background to him. Let, let people know what the letter is.
0: Yeah. And, and his, and so they're kind of telling, t- telling the story, Hey, watch out for this guy, you know, kind of here's what's going on. Uh, but apparently his wife got very ill. I think she had tuberculosis or something. And so um, he kind of uh, just kind of dumps his wife. And so she's trying to survive, gets enough money um, goes and finds a claim up in Wyoming to look for gold, finds enough money from that, that she's able to uh, find a stake out a claim and, And so she's just eking out a living and you can see how these church leaders are just really, they feel really sorry for her. And they're talking about her husband who should have been a little bit more considerate and taking care of her. And uh, at one point they call him a scoundrel. (laughs) So the runaway missionary slash scoundrel. This is abandonment, man. Yeah, that's pretty strong language for a hundred years ago, I think. So you can just see how, how badly they feel. For how this situation has unfolded, and in the meantime, they're still looking for more missionaries. And of course, a lot of times it works out, and sometimes it's amazing. But every once in a while, there's a, where it didn't work out really so well, and and so you can hear, you see the, these letters back and forth. This one particular missionary, um, and and they're writing like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is this is really terrible." I'm using my own words now, but <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Uh, here's the scoundrel. <laughs> runaway missionary yeah, yeah
1: this this to me honestly is what makes history interesting mm-hmm. because it shows you a character and a person mm-hmm. but it shows them in various situations that don't get recorded in the normal history book right absolutely without digging in these archives without you going down and spending a morning and an afternoon opening up the random folders that you know maybe nobody's looked in for the last 50 years yep. we wouldn't know any of that stuff
0: absolutely and it's just one page at a time Taking careful notes, and then, of course, for me, what I like to use, I use Evernote. Just write a little note card for every letter or two, and and just kind of summarize what were the key points. And uh, and as I continue doing my research, I can incorporate hopefully that richness, that detail. And and the more you do that is you just carefully uh, take the time, um, you can't scan it. A lot of it's handwritten or it's very faint. But you know, you just have to, you know, very carefully. And, and that richness, that nuance comes out uh, all the more over time as you keep digging.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, this is fascinating stuff, Michael. And I, I, I think that as, as we get more into some of these kind of extra details and these larger pictures, we're weaving together a sense of, of continuity in the church, at least humanity per se. Mm-hmm. Um, the, these people are not just the old names listed in the yearbook. You know, like I had somebody point out last week, why do they always have the first two initials? Of people's names and that's how we only like we wouldn't know these people as more than just the weird two initials ag daniels w e howell now you're getting a voice you're giving uh, a, a little bit of the humanity back to them by finding this stuff um i think that's i think that's really cool and i think it it makes our church richer and it, it makes you feel like they're not that different than us right yeah and
0: the quest isn't over you know i i suspect another you know a few years or 10 years or until the lord comes you know and I, Find some folder or box somewhere else and might have some diaries or letters (laughs) that just shed all the more insight and richness to anything from the 1919 Bible Conference to many other facets of our Adventist past. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I, I I we're always looking for diaries. I actually even in my eBay uh, search engine every every time a millerite and the word diary shows up in some random uh, eBay thing it'll it'll notify. Like, we're just looking for that stuff, right? It's always always hoping that, that somebody else will find it and put it, put it up somewhere. Well, Michael, thank you for for digging. Thank you for for finding and for adding some nuance here. Um, I think as we're headed into the Christmas holidays, uh, lots of people are hanging out and seeing things. If you're going home, if you are headed back and you know that there's some old connections in your family to uh, the Adventist world and the Adventist history, uh, poke around, ask grandma and grandpa, do do some interviews. I know as people were not just officially historians. We're all historians, right? We all have family. We all have connection. Um, see what's out there. And, and if you do find something cool, please let us hear at either the Adventist history podcast or the pilgrimage yeah. podcast. Let us know. Let us know. We would love please. to hear about this stuff.
0: It, by the way, just along those lines, I gave a worship this last week for the, at the North American division. It was just some early mission stories on John Fulton. And one of my colleagues came along and said, Hey, I'm the great granddaughter of John Fulton. And I'm like, what? And, uh, and yeah. she said, "Yeah, I'm going home for for Christmas and my mom. And let's, uh, you know." I said, "Hey, see if there's any pictures or diaries or anything, you know." And she said, "I'm gonna check. I'm gonna yeah. see if there's anything left in the family that 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 uh, people might have, you know. Even just, I don't need the originals, but if if someone has a diary or a letter, just even to get a snapshot, a photo of that, um, it both helps preserve and yeah. helps people like you and me, Greg, that are historians. Like, hey, that gives us that little snapshot." literally, uh, by finding new sources like that. And we want to make sure to do our best to support people to preserve those things so that those stories can be better told.
1: Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Hey, thanks again. If you've been listening for a while, we want to thank you for that. Uh, we, I think this is actually episode 20, maybe even 21. I'm not sure how far we've gotten in these, but either way, if you were a, a longtime listener, thank you for showing up and for being that kind of a person. We'd like you You are awesome. Otherwise, have a great holiday, folks, and keep looking, keep reading, keep discovering stuff about our Adventist heritage.
0: And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. He
1: does not take us out of this world if he does not want us to be contaminated by it.